Hi, this is Jesslyn Etchell, and I'm chatting with some of my favorite women in a series called Wildish Wise Women, Conversations with Everyday Goddesses. It's my passion to connect women and remind us that supporting one another is our greatest strength. These discussions are an extension of the in-person women's circles I lead in the Bay Area and will explore a variety of topics. Thanks for joining us. Today, I'm talking with Jo Molly Fernandez. She's the founder of Soul Warrior Yoga and has been a devoted yogini for over 12 years. After health issues threatened her life, she found physical and emotional refuge in her yoga practice. This led her to take a break from the real estate business and dedicate her time to yoga. She's completed her 200-hour teacher training and also 100-hour prenatal and postnatal training at Nature's Whisper in San Diego. Jomali is a blogger and yoga ambassador for the sustainable clothing company Puda Kai. She's also partner to Brian, new mommy to Ananda Maya, and an ocean lover and life enthusiast. Today she's going to talk to us about how yoga helped her heal. Welcome, Jomali. Hi. So happy to have you. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> well, let's just take a few moments before we get settled to take some deep breaths. And connect to each other and to this space. So those of us listening, please join us. So nice inhale through the nose. And exhale. (sighs) May each woman who needs the wisdom of this call find her way here. May we speak from the heart and create a wave of peace that radiates out on a global level. And may each woman remember her sacred nature and feel the value of her presence in this world. Jomali, what is your favorite thing about being a woman? There's so many things that I enjoy about being a woman, but I think that the thing that I enjoy the most is always discovering ways to make myself heard, make myself be seen. Um, I definitely enjoy the sisterhood aspect of being a woman. I think that us women definitely look out for one another. And um, and there's definitely been a, a change in the way that women are perceived and and approached, especially within the last 20, 25 years. Um, I think that at this very point, the thing that I enjoyed the most is being a mommy. That's what I figured your answer shocker. was going to be. <laughs> shocker, yeah. shocker. All that other stuff is excellent too, though. Well, Jomali's going to talk to us about how yoga helped her overcome lupus. And so I would really just like for us to launch into that topic with you sharing uh, sharing your story, just whatever feels true to you today, the, the way that it kind of presented itself, your illness, your finding yoga, all of that. Sure. Um, I've been practicing yoga since I'm 23 years old. And so I've been practicing yoga for a very, very long time before I got diagnosed with lupus. But I think that I really dove into not just my yoga on the mat, the asana part of yoga, mm-hmm. but the entire um, aspect of yoga, the lifestyle of yoga. Um, I was diagnosed when I was 29, 26 years old with lupus, and um, 
I managed it pretty well until I was 29 years old. And at 29, I started having very, very severe symptoms associated with um, kidney failure. So I developed lupus nephritis. And when I was 30, it had pretty much uh, destroyed both my kidneys, not just one, because most people can live with just one kidney. But in my case, it really um, scarred both kidneys. So I was I wasn't able to uh, produce urine, and I had to go into chemotherapy for six months, um, and later on on dialysis for over a year. And neither one achieved what we were expecting, which was for my for the damage to be reversed. Um, so I eventually had to have a kidney transplant in 2010. Yeah, and who who did you get your kidney from? Uh, I got my kidney from my partner, from Brian. He was my roommate at that point. We had been roommates for four years and um, established a very strong connection as friends. And he tested, um, got tested to see if he could be a match as a donor. And we were a match. So we proceeded to have the surgery and... Um, and it was a success. We had some complications later down the road with the surgery that really um, were more life-threatening than before I had the, the surgery. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm very glad that at that point, my yoga practice was very, very solid. And so I was able, able to really draw from that to overcome that period of time, which was, it was very dark. <laughs> Yeah, I'm guessing during that part, you probably weren't practicing the physical aspect of yoga as much, which I'm sure is why the rest of, of the, the philosophies of yoga came into play more. Exactly. I think that, uh, well, the reason that I started um, looking for more of a deeper connection with my yoga practice was precisely because of what you said. My physical uh, health had deteriorated to the point that I could no longer do my my routine at the gym. So I had to really only limit myself to my yoga, which I thought at the time that was a limitation. And later I discovered that it was actually a transformational experience because I was able to dig into the meditation part, into the, um, the devotional part of yoga. And mm -hmm. so those were the parts that really filled out that hole that I was feeling uh, as far as feeling not worthy um, of, of life, of love, of success, because when you're that sick, you just feel like you have absolutely nothing to offer. And so being able to take a step back and analyze things and look at yourself sometimes the way that others look at you through meditation and really accept what is going on, but also seek further into, in your inside to what really makes you, which is not only, you know, your job, which a lot of us really identify with our profession or um, what it is that we do on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's a part of who we are, but it's not solely who we are. So really digging deep to, see, like I said, see yourself through other people's eyes and love yourself the same way that other people love you. Wow. Sounds like you've got some amazing perspective. Um, it, it, I think that when you go through things like that, you really um, 
you're going to lose a lot of friends or mm. quote unquote friends, more yeah. so acquaintances, but it really exalts the role of your family and of your really, really good friends, the people that are going to be there through thick and thin. So you learn to see, I think that initially my, my struggle came, like I said, when you have no self-value because you feel like you have nothing to offer, you start to question why you're here or whether you should be here anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it's through the love of friends and families that really remind you of who you were and who you still are, that you're not just the disease. The disease is just a part of who you are and you can make it whatever you want. You can allow the disease to make you grow. You can allow the disease to consume you. And so it's really a play within your mind and in your soul of what you want to seek out. Do you want to just feel the pity and the pain and the anger that comes along with those things? Or do you really want to see further into the love of the people that, that surround you into the compassion of your coworkers or your friends and family? So there's a lot of beauty in it, even though you might not be able to see it in the, when you're in the midst of the situation, mm -hmm. like in the eye of the hurricane. But when you step out for a second, and you can do that through meditation and just look at the blessings that are surrounding you, the love, the compassion, the support, um, it's really humbling. Yeah. And so it, if you don't grow from experiences like that, then you're really doing yourself and the universe at the service because you can really draw from experiences like that to make you a better version of yourself. Wow, and that's what yoga is all about, is just uncovering the layers and finding our true self and our, our Peeling it like self. an onion. Yep. <laughs> Peeling so back the layers. It's interesting to me because a lot of times people come to yoga for healing in some way. And so given that you had a yoga practice before your diagnosis and after your diagnosis, um, how did the practice shift for you once you were, you know, sort of in pain emotionally and physically? I think that when... I, I would be pretty accurate and say that most people go to yoga finding physical healing mm -hmm. because they have a, some sort of physical ailment. It's not many people that actually go to yoga because they're experiencing anxiety or depression or any other mental or emotional illness. So ailment. So for me, it was about not focusing so much on whether my warrior was perfect or my trikonasana was perfect and really giving a break to the breath. Mm -hmm. giving a break to um, to the meditation aspect, giving a break to just the sisterhood and the energy, the, the connection that you feel in a yoga class that has nothing to do with whether your trikonasana or your warrior are perfect or not. It's more, it goes way beyond that. And so, yes, the physical aspect is important and it can provide a lot of healing physically. But if you're feeling some sort of emotional or mental distress, your yoga can be as much or even more of a life savior. Because I think that a lot, something that is very common within depression or bipolar or people that experience anxiety is that they are constantly recommended to go out and work out. It's definitely a way to rise your endorphins and make you feel good. Mm -hmm. But not only are you able to achieve that part with yoga, you can also go deeper and, like I said, experience more of the emotional and uh, mental connection with yourself, with the universe, and with your fellow classmates. 
Yeah, so people don't come for the physical, I mean, they don't come for the emotional, but they oftentimes end up getting that benefit. Absolutely. It's like a two for one. Yeah, the best that's deal great. in town. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, so talk a little bit about the way that, that you understand this connection between the mind, the body, and the spirit, and how that sort of plays into yoga. I mean, you sort of addressed a little bit, but how did it, um, you know, what does it mean to you? Well, for me, um, once I dug deeper into my yoga practice, I discovered several things of the lifestyle that are not necessarily practiced in many studios unless you go to a very traditional studio. Um, the aspect of um, the devotional yoga and kirtan and chanting and singing and really elevating the spirit and putting it all out there, being raw, being emotional in front of others in that sense. Um, aspects like um, the seva or the community service where you're truly doing a service for others without expecting anything in return. And that just makes you feel good. Whenever I do like my donation classes uh, and people try to give me money or if I'm doing a free class and people try to give me money, Rather, I, I always tell them that I'm already gaining so much because when you do something nice for others, it makes you feel good. So within my yoga, I figured that even though the, the, the physical aspect was amazing and I was feeling really good and energized, um, it was that other part that we started discovering at more traditional studios and when you become a yoga teacher, um, uh, the kirtan, which I know is one of your favorite parts of your yoga lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, and really starting to do things not only for myself in my meditation, um, but also for others in, in the way of seva. Um, I think that the, the part that really put it all together for me personally was um, the praying part, using my mala and using um, the repetitive prayers, the chanting, um, in order to not, not just wishful think of an idea or a dream, but really manifest it. So visualizing things in a way that they become attainable to you and really believing in them, not only in your mind, but in your heart that they can be achieved. Um, I think that those, that was the thing that really brought me health. I started imagining myself healthy. I started imagining myself um, as a yoga teacher, as a whole human being. Um, the, the thing that left me more um, injured than anything within my disease was the fact that I couldn't become a mother um, because of all the chemotherapy that I went through um, and the dialysis. It really did a number on my reproductive system. And I started doing visualization boards every year where I would see myself and put pictures of myself as a mother. And so when I finally found out that I was pregnant, it was like that, wow, this works, you know. And I had realized that in other ways that things were already manifesting in my life. But that was kind of a big one to ask for because physically the doctors were saying no way, no how. And it just shows you that when you really put your mind and your heart into something, there's just no small feat for the universe. You have to really ask for it and then wait for it to come to you. And my yoga were my times to do those things. My shavasana, my initial meditation in class. Um, I think that I always set myself 
this, I said to myself the same thing. May I be the best human being that I can be? And may I please have the honor of being a mother? And so I'm still working on being the best human being I can be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a lifelong practice. That's why we have right? to keep coming back to our mat again and again. <laughs> that's the whole point of it. Yeah. And Jamali, I know that from day one, you had that free class down by the bay. Yes. So, you, yes. Yeah, that's so wonderful that that was just immediately you got it. Like it clicked in your brain. Okay. So now that I'm doing this yoga thing, like I'm going to offer something for, for free for people that just need it. I, well, I, there were times during my illness that I had to stop working because I was, I was really physically disabled. And so I knew what it was like to be poor and I knew what it was, and I knew how expensive um, yoga studios are. So I wanted to, it is expensive. (laughs) I mean, it's worth every penny. Don't get me wrong. It's worth every penny. It's like going to the gym and to Mm -hmm. your psychologist and maybe to church all at the same time. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, yoga is totally church for me. (laughs) Yeah, you know, so it's a one-stop shop. Um, But uh, yeah, I think that, um, so I wanted to make sure that, first of all, as a yoga teacher, that I paid my dues, you know, by offering a free class and also that I felt good with myself and the universe that I was putting something out there for other people to benefit. And I had that, that class pretty much until I my doctors asked me not to teach anymore because I was having some issues with my pregnancy Mm -hmm. um, as a consequence of the lupus and the chemo and everything else. Um, So up until that point, I I taught the class for two and a half years. I'm on mommy mode right now, but I'm now teaching a donation class at the studio. So Seva is always going to be a part of my yogic lifestyle. I'm always going to do some sort of community service because more than about them. It's about me. It makes me feel good. So it's almost a selfish way or a selfish reason to do it. But I think it's a win-win for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I get the importance, uh, or, or, you know, I agree too, but I get that for you, it's really important to live your yoga off your mat, on and off your mat. Mm-hmm. So what are, what are some of the principles that you apply within your life that come from yoga that you really learned on your journey? Um, definitely something, I'm a recovering Catholic. I was raised Catholic and I'm no longer a a practicing Catholic, but there's a lot of things within the yogic lifestyle that reminds me of like the 10 commandments, um, or basically the no harming and no stealing and no lying. Those are all things that are part of the yoga practice. So not necessarily were those things, the ones that, um, made me, that I put more into practice, but just being more aware of them, mm-hmm. realizing that even in other religions or in other, not religions because you guys are not religious, it's a lifestyle, but in other, um, yeah, in other lifestyles, in other circles, we all kind of connect with the same principles. I think that the one for me that I tried um, incorporating the most was the no harming and no harming in the sense of, Um, Not so much animals as pets, but insects, plants, everything, just really understanding how we all come together in this universe, how everything is interconnected and having the respect and honor for every life form. Um, That would be ahimsa in 
in yoga, the, yeah, the principle. Yeah, so you're talking about the yamas and the niyamas. The yamas yeah. and the niyamas, the do's and don'ts, basically, yeah. of yoga. <laughs> and um, I, I often refer to them as the commandments of yoga, too. <laughs> yeah, That's it's a really very good correlation. It's very similar. I think that during my YTT training, my yoga teacher training, I was uh, writing a paper, and almost to a T, I started comparing um, the the Ten Commandments to the Yamas and Niyamas, and it's almost, I mean, eerily, one by one, they almost match, because I think that what it comes down to is that our principles, our universal principles are all the same, are to honor one another, to love one another, to not harm each other or other living beings, to be a person who lives honorably and who speaks honorably, who means what they say and say what they mean. So a lot of those things are interconnected for me. So it was actually kind of beautiful how, um, even though I had separated myself from the church, how those things came back to me in a different, in different way, in a different light. Um, and really as a reminder of of how those principles have nothing to do with religion. It just has to do with, with being a good human being overall. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love that you were able to connect that. And cause I know that there's a lot of sort of stigma with the Catholic church and a lot of folks that are recovering Catholics. Quote unquote. Oh, yes. I mean, I know that a lot of people don't want to stay in that, in that same frame, um, you know, the model of the church, but still, obviously we all want to be good people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's nice to have that path that is showing you. And I think most churches in general have, they have good intentions. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's more so in the practice and in the literature of the church that things can get a little bit lost in translation. But I think that churches are, are here to make us better human beings. And that's why, you know, our human condition always draws us to seek some sort of spiritual refuge, whether it's a church. Now for me, it's my yoga mat, but we're always seeking that higher sense of being and that connection to each other. And I think that, and, and but, but mostly really to a higher being. I think that the thing that ha- that yoga has provided me is that the, the guru is the self. You can always go within yourself to know what's right or wrong. It's that gut feeling when you know you're not doing something right. And so now I don't need to necessarily go to a temple to find those things. I can just step on my mat wherever my mat is. That's awesome. Well, I think I remember correctly that we both are lovers of Ganesha as well. We love Ganesha. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to ask you what mantra you use, but I figured it was the the, uh, Ganesha one. (laughs) I do. I do use my Ganesha very, very, very much. I think that um, because of the space where I was when I began my, my practice and whatnot, because of where I was when I started my my yoga practice as far as, um, you know, being feeling defeated and feeling down and all that stuff, Ganesha being the remover of obstacles, I just immediately <laughs> gravitated. <my> <laughs> to, I'm like, come here, you little elephant fella. Um, <laughs> it, just, it just naturally came for me to ask, please take all these things off my path, remove these obstacles from my path so that I can allow my light to shine and so yeah Ganesha is my little guy I definitely he he's my my number one um, deity that I that I 
gravitate to. And he's usually in my practice in some way or another, definitely in my music. There's definitely a lot of songs to Ganesh. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I would love for you to just offer up if someone out there is going through a really difficult time, if they're struggling with their health or other things that just come up in life as they do, what's something that you would say to someone just having a hard time? (sighs) Try to look at yourself the way that the people who love you look at you. Whenever you feel like there's nothing left to give, whenever you feel like there's nothing left available for others, look at the way that your mother looks at you or your father looks at you or your siblings or your child or your partner. They see you for you who you truly are and not just your circumstances, not just the fact that you might be broke or the fact that you might be sad or the fact that you might be ill, but they see you for who you are, for your true essence. So stepping into your mat is definitely a way to reconnect with yourself physically, emotionally, um, mentally, but just step aside for a second and look at yourself through the eyes of others. Mm, That's wonderful. Is there anything that we didn't cover? Anything else that you want to bring up that I didn't ask? I don't think so. I think that everything that I really wanted to touch on, we've, we've gone over. Okay. Um, well, I have a couple other questions for you. Shoot, mama. What's your favorite yoga pose? My favorite yoga pose is a yoga pose that I used to despise. And I think that's why I love it so much. <laughs> it's a pigeon pose. Um, basically, because our hips, is, it's, it's our emotional drawers is where we tend to store so much emotional junk. Um, being in such a deep hip opener was just really challenging for me. I hated it. I would move and fidget and uh, breathe deeply and look at my teacher like I wanted to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that once I finally surrendered to the pose and started just letting go of the emotional baggage of just being, okay, this is where I'm going to be for the next 10 breaths. What are you going to make those breaths? Are you going to make them a miserable experience or are you just going to give in and enjoy and take the goodness out of it? And so, um, Pigeon pose is now absolutely one of my favorite poses. It really allows me to um, do different expressions of it. It allows me to get creative with it. It allows me to just relax on it. And it's also a beautiful pose for me and my child when we're doing yoga together um, to breastfeed. I can just go into the pose and pop out my breast and put it in my baby's mouth. And we can both have that beautiful moment together. So there's a lot of I love about pigeon pose. Wonderful. What's a book that changed your life, Jamali? The book that changed my life. Ooh. I am an avid reader. So there's so <laughs> many books. Um, I really, really love The, the Red Tent uh, by Anita Hill. Yeah. I think that book, I mean, I devoured it. And um, and there's many other books in, in my arsenal, but that one in particular, um, I read through it so 
quickly and with so much love and interest and passion. And for those who are not familiar, the Red Tent, it's um, the story of one of Abraham's daughters. And so it's basically based in biblical times, but it is juicy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is interesting. Um, and so I think much a, about sisterhood. So much about sisterhood. And um, yeah, I think that that, that definitely was a, a big book for me and just honoring other women and feeling compassionate. I think that in our society, women are always pinned against one another and competing against one another for beauty or for a job or for a man, which is pretty disgusting. (laughs) I think that that book really brought that perspective of, you know, sisterhood always first and, and being empathetic towards other women and their women and their suffering, because as a woman, you should know, and you should, if you don't know, you should at least be able to relate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the red tent. And who inspires you? Oh, my goodness. There's so many people. I think that um, my family is one of – it's a matriarchal family. We have very, very strong women in my family. So someone who really inspires me always has been my grandmother. Mm. Um, my grandmother, it's it's black. She's Hispanic, and obviously she's a woman. Um, and I think that she is a prime example of fighting against the odds. She became a, an English teacher, was her initial job, and she used to go riding a horse and barefoot to her classes to teach. Um, she eventually became the director of Uh, federal affairs for the Department of Education in Puerto Rico. So someone who definitely came from very humble beginnings and who achieved greater things, but her biggest role was always um, to be a mother and a grandmother to us. So I've always felt very connected to her. Um, She's a very, very spiritual woman, very strong woman, uh, has fought a lot of adversity. And so I don't really need to look very far for inspiration. I can Mm -hmm. just look within the women in my family and they're definitely source enough for me. That's awesome. Well, I'm so glad that you had such good role models and now you get to be one to your little girl. And now she gets to enjoy also these wonderful women who are still alive, thank God. That's amazing. (laughs) So cool. She gets to have her great-grandma around. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time and for your wisdom, Jomali. I appreciate it. Oh, my God. It's totally my pleasure. You can always count on me whenever you need anything. I love you to death. I love you too, Jomali. Have a good day. Thank you, my love.